Uh, for the rest of you, let's open up our Bibles to James. Uh, James chapter 1. We are picking up at verse 12 of James 1. So join me in your Bibles. James chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 12 to 18 today. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to pick one up over on the resource table so you can follow along with us. Uh, This is James chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. This is God's holy word. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God had promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let's pray and ask for God's anointing on our time. Uh, Father, we come before you right now as we open up uh, the pages of Holy Scripture, and we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, as we dis- consider and just discuss uh, the issue and th- the battle and the problem of temptation in our life, we pray, Lord, that you would give us life uh, giving words, that you would give us hope, that you would give us encouragement, that we would believe that you have not set us up for failure, but success to live lives that honor you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How easily do you succumb to temptation? You're on a diet. It's a restrictive diet. And due to circumstances, you end up somewhere that your favorite snack, your favorite desserts, they're not part of your diet, and nobody is there to see you eat it. Who's going to know? Maybe just a little. Or do you stay true to the diet? You're taking a test. You're not confident in your answers. And you just are stretching. You look over, and the table next to you, The person sitting there you know is very smart, gets really good grades, and their test, their answers are just right there, right before your eyes. Do you immediately turn back or do you fix your gaze a little bit? Just checking, just making sure that my answers are lining up with theirs. You make a mistake, and you know you're going to get in trouble if you get caught in this mistake that you made but nobody saw you make the mistake. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, do you know what happened? Do you own it? Do you confess that, yeah, it was me? Or do you look and play dumb? I had no idea. I, no, I didn't see it. I don't know. You see, temptations come daily in our life. They're powerful. They're hard to resist. I would argue some of the most challenging trials in life our temptations. But here's the good news. God has set us up not for failure. He is a good God. 
He is the good God. He's empowered us. He's equipped us by his spirit with his word to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. That it is possible for you and I to honor God with our lives, to stay the course, to press on to the end. So that's what we're going to consider today, what it looks like with temptation to fight the good fight. We're going to look at three action points of your note takers. Number one, don't give up under the pressure of trials. The longer trials progress, the more likely you and I will get tired, we'll get weary, and we'll want to give up, we'll want to throw in the towel. And James is going to caution us and warn us against that. Secondly, don't give in to the pull of temptation. Temptation, part of the problem with temptation is it is tempting. Temptation is attractive. It's alluring. It's enticing. And James is going to challenge us to to take it seriously, to fight against it, to resist it. And then lastly, don't give away the truth for a lie. Because the, the big problem for you and I, and why you and I so easily succumb to sin and temptation, is we don't believe God and what he says he is and who he is and what he has done. All right, so let's get started. Don't give up under the pressure of trials. Uh, so this is week number three in our study through James. First two weeks are very focused on trials. First week we saw we're to consider it pure joy when you face trials, that it's, it's joy producing. Why is it joy producing? Because it produces steadfastness in us. It matures us. It grows us in our faith. So it's a good thing for us. But last week we saw, but we need wisdom. Why do we need wisdom? Because you and I naturally will not look at a trial as something that is good. It takes divine wisdom. It takes insight. It takes the Holy Spirit to give us such a wisdom. Well, today's passage is going to kind of wrap up the discussion on trials, but also introduce us to arguably the most difficult of trials, and that is temptations. Well, as we see our need to not give up under the pressure of trials, first of all, we are called to persevere to the end. Read verse 12 with me. He says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test. Now, we, this isn't the first time in James we've heard steadfastness, right? That's what trials produce in us. Steadfastness is the idea of being able to bear a weight. The stronger you are, the more steadfast you become, the heavier the weight that you can bear. And he's telling them to remain steadfast. And notice what it says, standing stood the, for those who stood the test will receive. It implies that some won't stand the test. Do you understand that? That some will give in, that some will wave the white flag, some will throw in the towel. I'm always amazed when you see news coverage of tornadoes and the damage that they wreak havoc upon, especially down in the south. And there'll always be in those images this destruction and mayhem, and then there'll always be that one house, that one garage, that one, like, why is that standing when everything else has been wiped clean? And what James is saying, when the tornadoes of trials come along, you be the one standing still. Paul echoes the same idea 
Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It's a call to persevere, friends, to endure, to not give up. Paul says in Romans 5, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Stay the course. Well, I have to ask us, do you grow weary easily? Are you in a place where you don't have much more stamina, that you really need God to step in and give you endurance? Because I think if we're being honest, if we're being vulnerable with one another, we all get there sometimes, where the trials become so big, so heavy, so constant that I can't go on anymore. And James says, keep going on. But not only persevere to the end, and this is the key in all of it, Notice the prize at the end. He goes on and says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, notice what he says, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You see, that's the motivation that drives us to endure, to press on. It is the carrot that's dangling. Do you understand that? It's the idea. During the Olympics, anytime they'd show the human interest stories, you always hear these stories of these athletes that have endured so much to get to the Olympics, personal sacrifice, overcoming injuries, training six, seven days a week for a four-year period to go one day, one event, one moment to determine whether or not they get that desired gold medal. And for those that get it, when they talk about it, they say it was worth it. All that I sacrificed, it was worth it. Friends, that's a medal that is temporary in focus. Do you understand? Listen to what Paul says. Every athlete exercises self-control in all those things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. You see, in the midst of the trials, we are... are constantly focused on the trial. And what we need to do is to take our eyes off of the trial on the one who rules and reigns. We need to look ahead. We need to stop thinking temporarily and start thinking eternally. Keep your eye on the prize. It's worth it. Salvation. He's going to give us the crown of life. We're going to stand in the presence of God for all eternity. He's going to wipe away our every tear. So when you have to endure trials, when you have to endure hardship and adversity in this life, friends, it is worth it. This is God's testing and prepping, but the end of the day, it's going to be worth it. We're not going to get there and look at the crown and be like... This is a little anticlimactic. That's not going to be the case. Are you keeping your eye on the prize? Do you meditate and reflect on future glory? Have you forgotten the promises of God? So we see not only the need to, to not give up, to persevere, to, get, to keep your eye on the prize at the end. I would argue the biggest and some of the most common mountains of trials that you and I endure on a regular basis are temptations. So don't give in to the pool of these temptations. Read verse 13 with me. You see, we have a desire problem. It says, let no one say it when he is tempted. I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. 
You see, the, the, the natural disposition of our hearts is we like to play the blame game. We see it in the garden, right? Adam and Eve, they sin. God confronts them. I mean, it's shocking when you listen to what Adam responds. He speaks to God and he says, that woman you gave me. Just saying, God, you don't give me the woman, I'm not eating that. So, and then he looks at the woman and what does she say? The serpent. Not my fault. You see, we have that tendency, and even here in temptation, to somehow shift the blame as though it's God's fault. Like God is guilty of entrapment. You know what entrapment is? In the legal world, with police, it would be the idea of maybe setting somebody up to commit a crime. The entrapment part would come as if the police was acting undercover, and the undercover person threatened the criminal that if you don't do this, I'm going to hurt your family. And then he goes and does it, and he says, hey, they told me they were going to hurt my family, and it was a cop. That would be entrapment. And it's the idea that, like, God is somehow setting us up to sin, and then when we sin, it was not my fault. That's not the case. You see, what the issue is, it's a desire issue. You see, in verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured, enticed by his own desire. Great example, we're going to see it in the fall when we pick up 2 Samuel, and it's the life of David. David was normally, the, the kings at that time would have normally been out on the battlefield. His men were out on the battlefield, not David. 2 Samuel eleven two. 2, he arose from his couch and he was walking on the roof of the king's house. And here we start seeing these verses play themselves out. He saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. You know what he did? He saw, then he sent, and then he laid with her. It's this progression. Desires gone rogue. And that, that's what we see here. Each person's tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires that you and I naturally have a sin problem. We have sinful desires. Galatians 5, 6, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But if you walk by the flesh, you will gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, do you see the problem in your life? Do you take note of your sinful desires? Are you doing anything about it? Because I think what happens often amongst us as Christians is we kind of accept the sinful desires in us as, hey, it's one of my weaknesses, par for the course, and we don't deal with it. We don't put them to death. We entertain them. We allow them to wreak havoc, to, to run wild. And then the next thing we know, we cross lines that we would have never thought we would cross. And we're like, how did this happen? Because you didn't deal with the sin problem. You didn't deal with the desire. And one of the things that the desire uh, should be motivated by is the next thing, because we have a death promise. It goes on, each one is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Notice the language. It's pregnancy language. A woman conceives eight to nine months later, what do we see? A baby. And what he's arguing is sin, when it conceives and it continues to grow and develops, what it's going to eventually lead to is not a baby, it's going to lead to death. That was the warning in the garden. 
before they sinned against God. You know what God, they said, God said to them? Genesis 2.17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you, not, you will not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you will, in the Hebrew, die, die. Physical and spiritual death. And everything changed for all humanity from that point forward as a result of their disobedience and defiance. And that's how sin works. It, it promises greatness, but delivers pain and suffering. Proverbs 5.3, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Sin will never deliver on its promise. You know what it brings? It brings death. Had to do one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do in my life this last week. We are looking out in the backyard, and our house butts up to a, a field, a farmer's field, and there was uh, vultures circling, and we saw there was a dead animal back there, and, and we got the binoculars out, and it was far enough. It kind of looked like a raccoon to me, maybe, and my wife couldn't let it go. She kept looking, kept looking. I'm out in the front yard doing work, and she's like, I don't think it's a raccoon. You need to go check. I'm like, of course. I want to go check a carcass in the backyard, in the field. So I go back there, and as I'm getting closer, I'm like, not a raccoon. I get even closer, and I'm like, maybe a fox. And then I get closer, and there's a dog collar. It was somebody's pet. So I took the collar off. I was able to look up its number. I was able to get contact information. And somebody in my neighborhood that I did not know, I had to call them and say, hey, I'm the bearer of bad news, but are you looking for a dog? They're like, yes, it's dead. So they had to come and, and pick up this dog. And I mean, it was, it was horrifying. The, the vultures had, had been at it for a little while. So it was, it was really gross when I had to put it in a box and, and give it to them. And they got out of their vehicle and they were in tears. And I mean, this was a dog that was like a family member to them. Friends, I, I can testify to this. I have seen lives ruined by sin. I've seen marriages ruined by sin. I've seen people's careers ruined by sin. Like I was holding that dead, decaying dog. I've seen lives look like that because of people not taking seriously what James is warning here. So even now, I, I guarantee in a group of this size, there are some of you who are dabbling and playing with sin as though you can control it, you can manage it, nobody's going to know. Friends, it's going to lead to death. Take God's promise. It will happen. Or are you believing Satan's lies? Do you think sin will satisfy and be worth it? Do you see the end that is in sight? So don't give up. Persevere. Keep your eye on the prize. Don't give in. We have a desired problem, and it will ultimately lead to a death promise. The reason for hope, though, in the midst of the trials and temptation is the giver. Look at verse 16 with me. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You saw the danger, right, earlier on. He says, don't blame who? And he's picking up that idea. Don't be blaming God. If anything, 
Be praising God. Be reminded of God. Don't question God's goodness. God is not giving you temptation. God is giving you every good and perfect gift. Have you ever been to like a baby shower, maybe a wedding shower, even sometimes birthday parties? Uh, Because of proper etiquette, you'll have somebody who's got a list and they'll be writing down what gift was given by what person. So at the end of the day, when they write a thank you, rather than have a, a very generic thank you for the gift, you can say, thank you for the blue onesie and the blah, 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 like, like the very detailed. Well, what James is saying is like, let's bust out the list. And as you look at the list, who is the gift giver? God, 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 God. Think of that. Think of every gift in your life, people in your life, your health, your gifts, your abilities, your family members, your friends, every single one. Guess where it's from? It's from God, all from God. But not only is it all from God, not only only all good things from God, he is good himself. Psalm 145 verse nine, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. And he's not, notice what it says, he is not changing. From the father of lights, there's no variation or shadow due to change. Why is that important? Could you imagine if we had a God who changed by the moment. He made a promise about Jesus for a moment, but no longer a good promise. He's sometimes good, he's sometimes not good. No, that is not our God. He is a constant. He doesn't change. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. Even the idea of Father of lights, it's lights is what? What is light compared to in the Bible? Darkness. It's purity, it's goodness, it's the opposite. He's never changing. You have confidence in him, you can be motivated by him. And think of the context that we're talking, trials and tribulations. Isn't it good to know that I have a good God? That I'm not entering into these trials and tribulations on my own, where I have to muster up enough willpower and muscle on my part to overcome those trials. No, I have what? I have God, he can, guide and direct me. Because not only do we remember the giver, let's rejoice in the gift. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Notice, it was his will he brought us forth. That God is the author of our salvation. It was his idea, not ours. And I know we don't like to hear that, We like to pat ourselves on the back and think somehow that we were bringing something to the table. That's not what the Bible teaches. It was his idea to save us. Hebrews 12, 2 says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He did this by his word, notice, by the word of truth. He was the one that brought his word to you. He's the one that opened up your eyes to see. He opened up your ears to hear. He opened up your mind to understand you. He opened up your heart to believe. That's why Paul places such an emphasis on the word, Romans 10, 14. How are they to believe in him of whom they never heard? That's why somebody has to go preach the word. And then notice what the end goal is, that they would be a first fruit. It was a preview. It's a glory to him. It means he will bring it to completion, that he desires us to thrive. Think about that. If you and I are constantly caving in to temptation, what kind of a first fruit are we? A very rank and not ripe fruit, but that's not his desire. Well, have you considered God's role in your salvation? 
Are you rejoicing in his work? What fruits are you bearing? The reality is temptations are powerful and they are hard to resist. Like I said, some of the most challenging trials in all of our life are temptations. We have a long list of failures and defeats. What does victory look like with temptations? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, How he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All this I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Notice the focus of Christ in that temptation. What direction is he focused? Towards God. It was constantly about God, that he's satisfied by God. Earthly hunger doesn't need to be fulfilled. His knowledge of the scriptures, Satan tries to manipulate the word, and Jesus knows the word. The focus was God. I think the key to you and I having victory over temptation is rooted in Jesus. To be empowered by his word, to know his word, to focus on him, his attributes, his way. It's all about God. Little focus on the trials and tribulations. So I think the key for you and I is get your eyes off the situation and on your Savior. God has not set us up for failure. He's a good God. He's empowered. He's equipped us to thrive, to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Defeat is not inevitable. We just have to believe in the power of God. Let's be the first fruits that he has intended us to be. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now and we acknowledge that temptation's hard. Temptations are difficult. It's very easy to get discouraged and defeated. And we just pray, God, that you would help us to be a people who obey you, a people who persevere uh, through trials and tribulation, but specifically through temptation. Let us honor you in all we do, that even this week, when temptations will inevitably come our way, we pray, God, that you would allow us to honor you as we follow Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand as we respond through worship?